Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly podcast that explores the tarot through an inclusive, soul-centered, trauma-informed perspective for growth, healing, and evolution. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Hello, Wild Souls, and welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to a new episode. Happy Scorpio season. We're at the recording of this. We're sort of almost there. And when this episode drops, we'll have about kind of one more day, I believe, with the sun being in Libra, and then we'll transition into my personal favorite time of the year, to be sure. Scorpio season can be so brutal and intense and confronting, but I really appreciate those aspects of it. And it's fun that in a week we'll get to travel through the Samhain portal, absolutely, without question. Samhain's my favorite portal personally in the spiral of the year because I always try to honor the both and of where the wheel lands. And so the idea that this cross quarter is shared with Beltane on the other side of the hemisphere, on the southern hemisphere, and in the northern hemisphere, we'll move through Samhain is just a really apt reminder for me that while we in the northern hemisphere are in this profound peak of the energy of death and completion and of transformation and turnover in the Southern Hemisphere, everything is happening around that, but it's coming forward instead of falling away. I also think it's really powerful to name that Beltane, which again, for us in the Northern Hemisphere happens on May 1. I love the idea that, you know, we we talk so much about how the veil is the thinnest on Samhain, which is October 31st, of course. It's just as thin on Beltane. The veil is just as thin when we're in the process of huge birth, huge blossoming, huge creation energy. It's really powerful to think about that. So definitely my favorite cross-quarter and very fun to honor kind of the both and of that. So I'm definitely looking forward to that in a week or so. So we're continuing on our journey of exploring the energy of the lover's card, our card for the month of October, deepening our understanding and our work with it through all of these different anchor cards. And so far we've explored Two of Cups as an anchor for this card. We've explored Seven of Swords. And today we're going to be applying another anchor, another very powerful anchor and a very apt anchor, given the fact that it is ruled by Scorpio, the energy of the Death card. A very, very potent complement to the work we do in the Lover's card. We don't often think of death card energy as being sort of a helper. I imagine that some people probably do, but I don't think collectively we tend to like immediately land on the death card as being a useful ally and helper on our journey to sort of reclaiming our own worth and lovability and beauty and like all of the gifts that we possess. And I think there is something really strong and powerful around the idea of even reclaiming the the flexibility, the spectrum of what the death card can be, because it it is so many, many, many things. And so we're going to be exploring it through sort of that lens view today. 
But before I do, before we get into that and before I answer a listener question, I want to put out a call to my listeners. So next week we're going to be doing, uh, next week is sort of our Samhain Halloween episode, Day of the Dead. And the card, the anchor card, I'm going to sort of spoil it (laughs) in advance, is Three of Cups, which in Soul Tarot, which is the kind of tarot I teach, we explore Three of Cups not from the interpretation of Three of Cups that is more classic, this idea of like gathering together and joining up in community. That can totally be what this card is, like absolutely. But it's not all that it is. And in Soul Tarot, the primary place that we start with is actually developing a root relationship to the invisible family and community that surround us in the form of our guides, our ancestors, and our beloved dead. And ironically, I imagine a lot of folks might assume I might do death, you know, next week in honor of sort of Samhain and maybe Three of Cups today. That's not the way that it wanted to go. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so Three of Cups is really our gateway card to this idea. And we'll get into this way more next week. We're never alone. We're always surrounded by love. How can we, you know, kind of sense into that? So we're going to talk about that card. But the thing that I'd love to center the most actually next week is that I would love to spend the majority of our time together doing Q&A and answering your questions about just that, about contacting and communicating with your spirit helpers, with your, you know, kind of invisible supports, with your intuition, with your inner knowing. So I welcome you to really flood the Ask Lindsay form, which is the the link to ask your question about any of that, is in the show notes. It's also in the links button on my Instagram at Wild Soul Healing. It's on both of my websites, I believe, but definitely, definitely for sure on tarotforthewildsoul.com. And I'm going to be recording that early next week. So definitely do ask your questions now rather than kind of sit on them because we record now in advance. So yeah, I would love to support you and I would love to have that be sort of in honor of the Three of Cupsness, kind of this sweet communal, you know, shared feel. I think that would just be really, really special. So send me your cues about all of those things. And uh, yeah, I really look forward to reading them and sensing into them and answering the ones that I feel like I'm capable of answering (laughs) as best as I can. So as we have been speaking about the Lovers is our card for the month of October. And now that we're really kind of ending, uh, you know, we're wrapping up October very, very quickly. And in just a couple of weeks, we're going to shift into a new anchor card, which is incredible. I mean, I personally, again, am really feeling the presence of this card. There is so much coming up, I think, collectively that has to do with mirrors and illusions and assumptions and like it's, there's a lot, 
right? Inside of for everyone. There's just a lot of that right now and a lot of invitations most certainly to clarify for ourselves kind of what were we looking for to complete us what 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 did we put our stock in in terms of what we thought would give us an answer would give us that sense of wholeness that all of us are looking for we're human beings that's completely normal to be seeking that out and the subtle kind of evolutionary opportunity inside of the month of October, really, this is available to us anytime, but October is really, really making itself known, is offering a very present invitation. Like, What would it be like to begin to say thank you to those old forms of projection or bypassing or transference or misunderstanding, you know, or misplaced affection or desire or love or whatever it is, and open to a different way. And so far we've, you know, because the lovers is about reclaiming everything that is glorious about us that we have difficulty or challenges integrating into our whole being because it wasn't safe to do so, because it might have been dangerous, because we were told the opposite about who we were because it wasn't safe. You know, there are a million reasons, right? So we've already explored a couple of anchor cards that really kind of were here to assist us in deepening a bit into this idea, right? We had two of cups that invited us to take the first step in our lover's work, which is to embrace ourselves as we are, to almost enter into a sacred partnership with ourselves, honoring ourselves as we presently are, not once we're improved, once we're better, once we're whatever it is, right? So that's that was our first sort of branch on the tree. Last week, I actually re-released an older episode that I thought just struck the perfect note on the piano in terms of the next level of deep work. If we're going to reclaim and love ourselves sort of as we are, it then very naturally leads us into this question, well, where do we always get caught in a sense of not feeling like we're enough? Let's explore that more because if it's impossible I believe to just sort of blindly say, I love and accept myself as I am. We're human, right? Like we, we will have situations, circumstances arise where we'll find ourselves caught in old patterning. We'll, we will struggle with a part of ourselves that is challenging to love. It's okay to have parts of ourselves that feel difficult to love. It just is. You know, that's really the grist for the mill. Those moments are the tough, crackly places where we can actually get even more curious, even more deep, right, around where those patterns started, what information they're bringing forward, and how we can deepen our love and reparenting even further. And Seven of Swords does typically, again, in soul tarot terms, we look to this card as a gentle clarifier is a little heads up. You know, where are we consciously or unconsciously locked in a little bit of patterning around feeling like we're not enough? 
Are we striving? Are we reaching? Are we sort of not in the present moment of our lives because we're feeling like, well, I got to get this thing going on. And sevens are really challenging because their inner work that has to kind of start from an inner place, but they often feel very external in nature. So what that means is that sometimes with the presence of a seven, there can be a lot of thinking mind that's like, well, we got to do this. We have to make sure that this is present and taken care of and that we're good and that we're okay. And so moving through that and and sort of wading through the the spikiness of sometimes that dissonance of, well, there actually isn't anything to do here externally, action-wise today. This is more of an internal issue. My work on this has to start from the inside, right? Rather than the outside. It's really the only way that internal to external flow the sevens really show us is really the only way that we're ever going to lift some of the mental and the pressure of the discomfort and the perpetualness of those cycles and patterns. And so that's a part of our lover's work too, is getting just really clear on where, again, we don't feel like we're enough, where, you know, we get caught right in this really painful patterning. And this week, We're moving into the energy, into the invitation of death. So how can death be a helper on our journey with this energy, with the lovers? Like why, why spend time with this? What's useful about it? And how can it be an anchor for this work? So there are a couple different ways. This episode is called Honoring Completions with Death. And I would say that In our lover's work, there's a great deal of emphasis placed on the reclamation of the self that's there, that's whole, that's worthy. It exists within us, period. Like we are enough. It doesn't mean that we won't work. It doesn't mean that we won't mess up, make amends. It doesn't mean that we won't be aware of times where we think, wow, my capacity at that time of understanding or of action or of holding was so diminished and now it's it's different. It's not about, we're not going for perfection here. We're going for rawness. We're going for honesty. We're going for willingness, right? So because so much emphasis is placed on the reclamation we're not always fully rooted in what has to be done in order to make room for that reclamation. We don't have any kind of sort of collective acknowledgement or honoring of any kind of the threshold that it is to sense into a way in which we were pursuing something, looking for something, looking for someone to complete us, looking for something external to make us whole, okay, to give us what is lacking. We don't have much that helps to support us in crossing the bridge from those old paradigms to something different. And death can help us to not just, you know, last week with Seven of Swords, the acknowledgement of where we get caught in those cycles, death can take us a step further and then many steps further from there 
by helping us to actually bring about an acknowledgement and a completion to those old ways of not quite seeing our full self in that mirror. Because it takes a tremendous amount of courage. It takes a lot of courage, you know, to, to move off of the hamster wheel of, I need this external thing to fix it, to relieve me of this stress, to tell me I'm lovable. I mean, this is very raw, vulnerable stuff and we get caught in it. It's very hard to know how to discontinue the pattern. And of course, I'm not here to say that a tarot card alone can help you do that, nor am I saying that I can be the person who can guide you through that. That's not even really what this episode is today. But it's to let you know that there's medicine, there's invitations embedded in the death card that can be of assistance when we are ready to cultivate and name aloud to ourselves in writing the willingness to let go of the old way and open to something different. In that way, we are honoring a completion, something that we do not have a ton of framework for. There's not a whole lot about honoring completions, right? There's not a huge level of systemic support around any kind of completion. We don't have a whole lot in our overculture around grief. We don't have a whole lot of support around death in general. It's out there, but it's definitely not as overculturally normalized and understood as I wish it would be, as I think it we really should be. So the death card can help. It can help to cut, to clear away the shame, the judgment, the self-loathing that can come up around getting caught in some of these patterns. It can help to really open our eyes to where we get stuck in this patterning. Like what were we hoping these externally derived things were going to give us? Were we believing that there was some part of us that was defined by them? What happens if and when they go away, right? Do we still have contact with our innate wholeness on the other side of that, you know? And again, the lovers promises a new way, There is a new way forward that's possible with the lover's card where we actually can completely shift the kind of relationship we have with those externals. The lover's card doesn't say you can't desire someone, you can't want to be in relationship with them, you can't desire to be a part of a supportive friend group or to have some kind of wonderful accolade or you know goal in mind there's like that's great it's when we get caught in that frenzy that gripping that have to have this or I'm less than right or acting out of a void within ourselves because we're unconscious we're unwilling to look at the work that needs to be done before we move into that It's big stuff, you know, so it's not nothing. And in order for that to flourish, there has to be a weeding of the garden. There has to be a laying down on the compost pile of the old ways. What I've learned personally from my journey with spirit 
And certainly this has been uh, impacted and, and certainly fortified through the helpful advice of my teacher, Michelle. We don't always need to know the whole thing that we're clearing away to move into root into the willingness to let it go. We can say, I'm willing to, in a gentle, digestible, safe way, begin to detach, begin to untether from this old attachment, this old gripping mechanism, this old source of obsession or of need or of desire that I know is not serving me. I know it's not actually what is for me. We have to be able to let that go for the new thing to really, again, have room to grow and change. And that is a part of many, many things that the death card can support us in, in terms of process. Death card is ruled by Scorpio, and it is an energy of transformation and of turnover in life. It represents, to my way of thinking, essentially the process of turning something into sacred fertilizer. It is the act of, you know, death card can show up in a million different ways, but it is the act of either moving into the garden of our lives and realizing that something that we've had growing and present in this garden has died, has passed, you know, the roots are no longer producing anything and it's not salvageable. We're just complete with it. Or when we move into that garden and we acknowledge this thing that I planted so much of in my garden I feel complete with, and I am choosing to uproot this. I don't think that gets talked about enough, that the death card can sometimes be an empowered choice. There can be an awareness like, and I love tomatoes, so (laughs) this is probably not the best example, but maybe an acknowledgement like all of this nettle, and I love nettle too, was working super well. And now I'm realizing I actually would like more room for tomatoes. I would actually like less tomatoes and more room for this thing. You know, it it really depends. And we have a proverbial soul level compost pile for those things. It is natural for us to outgrow things. It is natural for things to let go of us, right? And so sometimes this process can feel very sacred, very empowered. It can still come with grief, still. Even if we're aware that this is something we've outgrown, this is something that, you know, is no longer meant to be sort of a part of the garden of our lives, it doesn't mean that that thing is gone. It means that it's coming back into a different form, a different energy source in a new way. It's becoming compost. You'd better fucking believe that the old ways that we grip and cling and look for some kind of meaning making or some kind of validation can absolutely become sacred fertilizer that helps to nourish and allow 
the new things that we're planting in our lives to grow. We can look back and think, wow, how far I've come, that I was looking for this person, this group, this community, this lover to define me, to choose me, that I needed that. There was some part of me that needed it so badly. And what an important part of my journey to recognize, what an important part of my path to honor. It's impossible to separate the work we do around releasing and letting go of those patterns And it's impossible to separate the important work we do around those sort of old patterns from where we go after that. They help to get us there. And we don't fully always acknowledge the complete life-death-rebirth cycle that's inherent in that. So again, sometimes what's in the garden has died. It's died. It died a long time ago, and we don't see it really until we're kind of ready to. And that's death card work too, right? Is the process of the recognition, the realization, the uprooting of the thing, the laying it on the compost pile, and then engaging in an act of ceremony and ritual and acknowledgement of grief and letting our experience be what it is in the transitional act, in the completion of this beautiful life form, having a place in the garden of our our heart, our soul, our lives, whatever you want to call that, right? And then there are other times where that thing is still alive and flourishing and we decide this is the end of this and we uproot it and we can honor the same thing. I think that that is a big part of lover's work. Sometimes something is dead for so long. And we just don't realize that it's it's been dead for quite some time. And we've been really trying to sort of prop up something that hasn't had a whole lot of life force moving through it. Then there are other times where it's it's kicking a little bit still. And we just think, you know, this is I this has served the purpose that I want it to serve here. This is our garden. We are empowered, allowed to make this space our own, right? But the point is that we have to honor the completion. And you know, this is just a reminder as we're talking about all these things that for me personally, because again, this is my podcast and (laughs) I'm teaching what I know and teaching what makes sense to me. I do not associate the death card with death. It's not to say that it can't come up around the process of grief and loss. It's not to say that it cannot be a part of that, associated with that. I just don't teach it as being a part of that because I think that the death card is very much about soul death. It's very much about personal transformation and moving through loss and grief, especially of a loved one or a beloved pet. There are lots of different notes on the piano of grief. And sometimes when we go right to the soul level invitation of the death card, especially as we're exploring it here, it can feel kind of insensitive. Like we're just supposed to like uproot this, this idea and, and immediately have it be this idea of compost and taking on a different form. It doesn't actually connect. And, and I actually really stand by that because the lover's card is not really about lovers and 
the judgment card has really nothing to do with judgment. And the temperance card is not about being temperate. So I think it's as appropriate and important to begin to detangle the idea of the death card as being about death. It can be if someone has a really rich relationship to it in that way. Certainly it's not wrong, but it's just not what we're centering today. It's not quite what I'm teaching. And, you know, I think that's important to name. So how do we honor these completions? We cultivate and create ceremony and ritual. We do this without appropriating other cultures. We do this, we, you know, it's perfectly fine to look to as much of our own sort of innate felt understanding of what that looks like. It can be very, very simple or very, very elaborate. It can be as simple as writing the things down that we're pledging you know, our willingness to be complete with and burning them. It can be as simple as going to somewhere that feels really special and really sacred to us, sort of naming those things out loud to the wind. I have had some of the most powerful completion experiences around ceremony and ritual for myself, just sitting at the table that enacted itself as my altar in my apartment in New York City. It doesn't have to be anything. It can be whatever you want it to be. This kind of sacredness is available to us in any way. Sometimes it happens, you know, in spirals and layers. Sometimes we do a lot of this kind of completion work on our own, and then we might gather with a group, and there might be some kind of letting go, some kind of witnessing that's necessary for us to see kind of the whole spiral right? To see the other side. I think the death card offers us a profoundly important opportunity to sense into our own relationship with ceremony and ritual as it pertains to completions. And what could be more important (laughs) around lover's work than reclaiming a wisdom that lives within us, letting that deep whisper inside of us guide us to where we're going next, to where it might be the most useful and valuable to shift into this different relationship with our own honoring and witnessing process, right? The last thing that I'm going to name is that I think is very interesting is the fact that the lover's card shares a vertical line with death. So we, we, we can look to, if we line up the three lines of seven cards in the major arcana, we will then have seven vertical lines. And the sixth, second to last line is comprised of the lovers, death, and judgment. Very powerful, you know, and all presenting us actually with these crucial steps, crucial completions, letting go processes and reclamation processes simultaneously that allow us to move forward into the last card of the line where we sort of spiral into something completely brand new. It's the necessary work that has to happen before we can open to the next big thing. And it's the thing that most of us tend to skip, right? This idea of really getting down, really starting to understand 
what is my process here? What exactly was I looking for? You don't need to know how to give it to yourself. The death card says, can we just be in the willingness to understand that this is complete? It's complete, you know? And it doesn't always need to be about relationships. It it can be so subtle, our lover's work. You know, I mentioned a couple times on the podcast and in various places, but I've gone through this with my courses, where my courses have been conducted or presented in such a way that it worked and then it didn't, and then it was time for something new. But I there was no way that I could open to the something new without fully going through a grief and completion cycle around what the course was. And that involved, for me, I, I really do resonate with the idea of, of just writing down what I'm letting go and like spending some time with that and burning it. And there was a lot of time doing, you know, inside of that process and a lot of tears and a lot of grief and a lot of appreciation and gratitude extended to the course, a lot of listening to the course, um, a lot of communication and actually trust building, you know, and a lot of awareness on my part about where maybe I haven't been, you know, maybe I hadn't been as present with this course as I, as it really wanted me to be, um, And probably some of the most important work inside of that for me was like, what was I looking for in this old way? What worked about that before? What did it teach me? What did it help me to understand? What did it help me to do or to know? And again, what was I looking for? How can I have compassion for myself around that? What was I wanting to give? What was I wanting to have the work be? What did I believe about that? What did I think was necessary about engaging with it? For me personally, especially with the course, it was the awareness that like some parts of the way I was running my courses, I didn't want to do anymore and it didn't want to be involved anymore, the course itself. And um, there was a lot of time spent in like, I've never really enjoyed those aspects, like those those various aspects. Why did I do it? And there was a, a lot for me and like, that's just what people do when they do online courses. It was, it took a lot of courage to say, yeah, and that's okay. And I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do that. So it's just to say that this process can be around an offering. It doesn't, again, need to be about anything relating to even a relationship. It can be about anything. You know, once we're, once we're sort of invited into this work, it can just call us into some of the most powerful, powerful places. And I do believe that death card work is an essential ingredient to our lover's card reclamation. So I hope that this is feeling resonant. I hope that you play around a little bit and maybe even take some time and sit a little bit with this idea of letting go of this idea of of composting and having there be a kind of a transmutation of that compost into sacred fertilizer that then can nourish all that you want to grow from those old patterns that as much as we believe like we have to banish and burn away and 
that the, the burning, even the burning, <laughs> you know, is a part of the compost process. It's nothing, nothing gets kind of isolated or distilled or moved away from the whole picture of our growth. And that's what Death Guard as an anchor for our lover's work can help us to do. So our question this week is from Joe, and Joe asks, I'm moving through a pretty huge transformation, one that was initiated about six months ago when I made a sincere commitment to listen to spirit. Since then, I've made more decisions according to my intuition than ever before, and after months of a scream falling through the void, I found myself in a very different life. On the one hand, I feel inordinately blessed. On the other hand, I am sick with fear. I'm afraid I won't actually be able to stomach the reality of what I've longed for. Like my body and heart aren't actually big enough to survive what this change will demand from me. When I pull from my tarot deck for support, I receive it in the form of major arcana cards like the Empress or the Fool or the Moon, cards that I have a very hard time rooting into concretely. I feel seen and lovingly witnessed by my guides when I pull these cards, but I struggle to find the actionable advice if there is any. How do you stay grounded in the midst of big change? How do you continue to trust your choices after you've passed the point of no return? What practices help you resist the fantasies of fear? So Joe, beautiful question and beautiful work. Scream falling through the void really touched me, resonated very strongly with me. You are speaking to beautifully and articulately, the messy and challenging and wholly life-changing process, initiatory process that every single person who starts to welcome spirit and a more soul-led rhythm into their lives enters into. It can't be avoided. I don't even know if being grounded inside of it is something to aim for. Because the whole point is that the ground underneath us is sort of eliminated and gets reformed in a different way. So I encourage you to play with what it might be like to bow over to the fact that there is no ground right now. The fact that you're pulling the fool in the moon, you're already being sort of arms of support are already being wrapped around you with with regard to this. This is the process of the fool. Once we start to say yes, the ground underneath us really does dissolve and it becomes a moment to moment process rather than one big leap. And then all of a sudden we're sort of on the path, you know, it, it is moment to moment work. And there's a very high degree of thinking mind disorientation with a process like this. The moon card too is a sort of a, again, an initiator around us befriending the void, the unknown, and helping to, if we can imagine like putting down roots in the middle of like really strong ocean waves. Those roots can't be static. They can't be, they have to have really strong core and tether, but they're going to move around right? This idea of of seaweed kind of dancing with the waves. We want to be like that, right? We want to let kind of the waves carry us. So you're doing a beautiful job, beautiful job. The only practices 
that I would sort of recommend are working with your deck, working with your deck, developing some anchoring practices, definitely being out in some kind of nature. If you have access to it, very helpful, (laughs) you know, being around some like-minded company, like you know, just some folks who've, who've experienced this or at least willing to be a sympathetic ear to you. Very helpful. Like the fact that you reached out and asked this question is a, a beautiful signal of your willingness to be sort of witnessed and championed in this huge process that you're moving through. Now, you're afraid you won't be able to stomach the reality of what you've longed for, like your body and heart aren't actually big enough to survive what the change will demand from you. That is thinking mind. And while I honor and fully bow to the thinking mind and the brain and you know all of its all of its limitations that it can tend to put on things because it wants us to to not get our hopes up and be scared and disappointed. If the thinking mind, and our capacity to understand something doesn't have a prior example in place, it is very common that we'll get that sort of invitation. Like, it's impossible. Like, I couldn't possibly hold uh, the bigness of what I'm of what I'm moving into, of what I want. I could not possibly. My heart isn't big enough. My body isn't strong enough. It's not solid enough. We, I can't do it because... And, and it's kind of understandable that we would feel that way because there's no comparison for the thinking mind to make. Like if we've never actually opened to that degree, of course the brain is going to say, well, this is impossible, right? <laughs> like you can't do this because according to it, you haven't done it before. And that doesn't make it true though. The fear is really normal. That's really normal, especially in the beginning, to feel like, can't do it too much. Fuck this. Where's the red button? No way. (laughs) You know, it's a reminder to you that the Empress is helping you out with this, that the receiving piece, like that our body, our heart, our nervous systems, our capacity to sort of integrate and hold and receive all that we're calling in. It does happen sort of over the course of time, because if it is way too much, way too quickly, and I mean, I will be real with you, sometimes some things do come in real hot and heavy, and it's like, whoa, and then we call in processors and make shifts or changes to to sort of shift it into a more digestible rhythm. Sometimes it is big really quickly, but a lot of the time, most of the time, I would say the empress work we do and what you're describing here is empress work going beyond what the thinking mind thinks is possible in terms of what we can literally receive as human beings before we kind of explode because it's too much love or too much good stuff, you know, or we get ahead of ourselves a little bit and think, well, I can't do it. And sure, you might not be able to do it today, but it's not here today. It will be here. It's, you know, this stuff happens with time, in time, on purpose, so that we have time to integrate and slowly sort of expand our threshold or capacity to receive something. 
So that is what I would say. I would say lean into these three cards because they are showing up as solid anchors for you. And you're right. There's nothing necessarily actionable about them. And that's okay because you're in the work. You're living the work. It's a different way of thinking about, quote, the work, right? Which you're living right now. It really is like every moment contains within it an opportunity to rest a bit or to be a bit or to uh, confront or, or comfort or negotiate or navigate the invitations of the thinking mind or to sink in a little bit deeper with spirit or with our knowing. There is powerful work going on. It's just not work that you're having to manufacture. So it can feel really strange. That's a big shift from kind of like ego-led soul work, which is totally fine, to be honest with you, to like spirit-led soul work, which is just like, we're just, as my teacher Michelle would say, like in the river moving and there's like nothing to do but sort of be in the river and and navigate that process with with respect. And you you know you asked how do you continue to trust your choices after you've passed the point of no return? I don't know that we're supposed to. I think doubt comes up and that that's human and normal to confront that and to doubt it and to consider our choices because things do change. And it's not to say that like you'll regret what you've done, but sometimes, you know, every th- this process is very spiralic. So sometimes we say yes to something and we think it's the thing, but it's really the thing that's necessary to guide us into the next thing. There's never a going backward. It's always forward. Just being in the moment as we are is really the only way. And when big, big doubt comes up, instead of feeling like, oh no, I shouldn't feel this. Why don't I feel more trust? This is a part of the path and the work. To let the doubt come up, to honor it, to offer it your full attention. And when big questions and fears come up that you're like, I don't know how to respond to this, you can bring them to a trusted processor, a mentor, a community that, again, you trust that you feel is actually doing this work. That is, it's, it's, I'm not, you know, meaning to, um, again, I, I'm saying this as respectfully as possible, and there's nobody in particular that I'm talking about, no community in particular that I'm talking about here for real. There's so many communities and teachers and people who call themselves intuitives or soul-led, and they really aren't, I think they probably think they are, which is okay, but um, it's really important for us to do our own kind of critical thinking and real consideration and just really sensing into, like, does this really feel like something that someone on, on a similar path to me would say, you know, yes, no, whatever. Sometimes we think it and then it changes. And so just know that in going into something that it's, it's always important to keep a sense of, of common sense and critical thinking close by. But yeah, to reach out for the support, just like you did with me today. Beautiful, beautiful question. And I would say above all things, know that the doubt is actually a part of the path. The more it comes up in these layers, 
the more we're able to sort of process and let go of little bits of it, it's normal for these parts of us to want some fucking answers. And it's okay to be with them and say, I don't have an answer. Or it's okay to be with them and say, you know, this person recommended this. Let's see, right? It's also okay to just say, I'm scared and I don't know. And this is really intense. And, you know, it's all right, right? It's okay. Every time we sort of get flipped off into outer space and bring our way, like and make our way back down to earth, that's a valuable experience. It's not necessarily something we want to completely avoid. So I hope that this is useful. And again, I really bow to you and honor you on this big initiatory path. It's no joke. Just please be gentle with yourself. It's a lifelong process. It's not work that we do in a day. No. So thank you so much for listening, Wild Souls. Thank you for being here. I'm always so grateful to be gathered with all of you in this space. Please do send me your questions for next episode. Again, about ancestral healing or connecting with our spirit helpers, intuition, guides, Samhain, whatever you want to talk about. (laughs) The veil being thin, I'm about it. So send me your cues. I'll look forward to receiving them. And until we meet again, please take exquisite care of yourselves. Mm